remember how in operant learning we have four quadrants? Positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, and negative punishment. Today I want to talk about negative reinforcement. I get the impression that negative reinforcement is the least understood of the quadrants. I myself used to feel like it was shrouded in mist. I got the concept in theory. Reinforcement means the behavior will increase in the future, and negative means that this happens as a consequence of something being removed from the environment. But I've never found a convincing example of this in dog training. In general, the best example I can think of is the sound your car makes when you forget to plug in your seatbelt. It starts yelling at you a few seconds after starting the motor, and will only stop once you've plugged in your seatbelt. Because the tone tends to be uncomfortable for human ears, it is a negative stimulus we want to turn off. We know how to turn it off. We just plug in the seatbelt. This would be the escape learning side of the negative reinforcement coin. Plugging in the seatbelt gets reinforced by the removal of the sound. Let's assume you just learned to drive and are a notorious seatbelt forgetter. Depending on how unpleasant the yelling sound is to you, you'll only need to hear it once or twice in order to plug in your seatbelt earlier in the future. Earlier as in before the beeping even starts. This would be the avoidance learning side of the negative reinforcement coin. You keep the noise from even starting up because you're clear about what behavior is required. You don't develop an aversion to cars or driving because once you've jumped from escape learning to avoidance learning, you never have to deal with the unpleasant stimulus again. You have the power to avoid it by plugging in your seatbelt before it starts up and you know it. No need to feel big feelings about this situation. But let's talk dogs. In all my years of owning dogs and working as a professional dog trainer, I never encountered an example I actually like. Lots of good examples for positive reinforcement, positive punishment, and negative punishment. But negative reinforcement used in a way that made sense? I used to draw a blank. This changed when, in the early months of COVID, I decided to write a novel. One of my protagonists is a balanced trainer, and I wanted them to be excellent at what they did. The reason I made them a balanced trainer in the first place is that I had just seen some nasty campiness among dog trainers of different philosophies online. The meanest ones in that particular interaction were trainers who'd label themselves as positive-only trainers. It is always ironic to me when I see something like this. How can you be R plus with dogs, really mean to humans? This is not an inherently consistent way of being in the world. It also annoys me every time I see it, because I genuinely believe everyone has something to teach us, and trainers from all kinds of philosophies could grow by supporting each other and growing together rather than fighting in the way I see to be most common in the current dog training world. It should be like ice cream, not politics. Your preferred niche is Nipopo? Great, my preferred niche is Control Unleashed. They are so different. We have so much to learn from each other, which is really cool. Based on this, I decided to go with a balanced trainer as my main character, and I wanted to make a point of having them be a lovable, ethical, kind and effective trainer and a likable human being. So I had to study up on some of the quadrants I don't usually use in my own training, specifically positive punishment and negative reinforcement. By the way, here's the reason I am the trainer I am. I was a dog training nerdy kid and adolescent, and I read all the books I could find. So I read a lot on all kinds of methods, most of which just didn't really resonate with me, did not make a whole lot of sense, or seemed inconsistent. The first training book I read and truly liked just happened to be a book by Karen Pryor. Starting there, I went down the rabbit hole of clicker training, learned from the big names in positive reinforcement-based training, and eventually fell in love with Control Unleashed. So that's my professional niche as a trainer today. And you know what? It is a coincidence. If the first media I'd come across was, say, Pet Stewart's Nipopo video, might have gone down an entirely different rabbit hole, and I might be an entirely different trainer today. As it is, I know what I know, and I know what I don't know. Lots of things, especially in the quadrants I'm not working with all the time. I have no issue saying so, and no issue referring clients to someone who is well-versed in these methods. There are more than enough clients for all of us, and we should support each other and refer clients to one another. Anyways, back to my research process that started with my novel. I was thinking of having my character use an e-caller, so I needed to learn how the best trainers use them. 
Up until that point, I had assumed that e-collars were exclusively positive punishment tools and that they were simply used, not taught in any way. But boy, was I wrong. I used to assume that all the e-collar did was add pain as a consequence to an unwanted behavior. I also assumed that e-collars are always painful. But then I learned from several sources, let's see, and let's give a shout out to the balance trainers who knowingly or unknowingly helped me write a character who is kind and excellent and helped me understand the use of e-collars. That would be Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart on the Canine Paradigm podcast, Pat Stewart's Nipopo video, YouTube videos by Larry Crone, in particular one with his nine-year-old kid Sophia, and Tyler Muto, whose remote collar webinars I purchased on consideredadoc.com. I learned something I had not been aware of, particularly in the really well-done Tyler Muto webinars. A trainer who knows what they're doing doesn't just slap the collar on a dog and fry them, and neither are e-collars inherently painful. They are at a certain level, but good e-collars have up to 100 levels, and the lowest ones are not even perceivable by most humans or dogs. In the YouTube video by Larry Crone that I mentioned above, Larry shows how their nine-year-old kid holds the e-collar and tells them they can't feel it when Larry activates it on the lowest levels. I was blown away by this video, and I needed to know if this was actually true, so I purchased an e-collar like this. I went with the one that Tyler Muto was using in their webinar, and I tried it on myself. And it really was true. I could not feel anything up to, I think, level five or so. I had also heard that the stimulus itself, the electricity on your skin, was neutral rather than painful. This, too, was news to me. I had assumed it was always painful. After all, I thought it was a positive punishment tool. But indeed, when trying it on myself and getting to the first level I could perceive, I did not feel pain. I just felt a new kind of sensation that I hadn't been familiar with. It wasn't a nice sensation and it wasn't an uncomfortable sensation. It was just different from any other sensation. It's hard to describe. Imagine you've never put your hand in lukewarm water. And then you do. It will be a new sensation on your skin. It's not burning hot or freezing cold. It's just a sensation of water touching your skin and that's unfamiliar. So the adjectives you'd use to describe it might be new, different, or interesting. Those are value-free adjectives. That's what this e-collar felt on my hand at level 5. I also learned that trainers like Tyler Mudo teach the dog the meaning of the e-collar, just like I teach my dog the meaning of various micro cues. I had assumed that one would just put the e-collar on the dog and use it. That is not what Tyler teaches in their webinars. Basically, what they did was what I did and what Larry Crohn's kid did. Tyler would put the collar on a dog and start with the very lowest level. You could see that the dog didn't notice anything. Then they would slowly turn the levels up, one at a time. That's what I did when I was holding the collar too. At some point, usually between 4 and 7, you could see a reaction in the dog. They would turn their head or flick an ear in surprise. What's that new sensation? Then Tyler would not go any higher. So they would just go to the point where the dog was able to perceive the stimulus. Let's call this the lukewarm water level. Once the lukewarm water level was determined for an individual dog, Tyler started teaching the dog the meaning of that new stimulus. That is to say, I taught the dog, often with positive reinforcement, that this new sensation was a prompt to show operant behavior. What behavior was expected differed, just like what behavior I expect before a specific marker cue can be different. Tyler taught the dogs in the tutorials that they had the power to turn off the sensation of the e-collar. Remember that at the lukewarm water stage, this is a neutral sensation, meaning you need positive reinforcement to make it worth the dog's while to turn off the stimulus in the first place. Tyler taught the dog that they could take their paw out of the water when they wanted to, and the way to do so was to do a certain behavior. For example, go to a mat or come when called. Knowing that you can turn something off by showing a specific behavior makes it negative reinforcement rather than positive punishment. It is negative because something is turned off and reinforcement because the behavior that leads to the turning off of the e-collar is more likely to be shown in the future. Then there would be a treat reward, a positive reinforcer for completing the behavior. This way, the dog learns the meaning of lukewarm water. At this point, you have zero pain involved. You are simply familiarizing your dog with the new sensation and explaining its meaning. I think it was Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart on the Canine Paradigm 
who also mentioned that the low-level e-collar is a neutral sensation, not one that feels bad. They made their point by saying that you can attach any meaning you want to a neutral stimulus. I think it was them who said you could, for example, turn it into a marker cue like a click by pairing it with food. This was fascinating to me. I saw how it had to be true if the stimulus was truly neutral, but I still had a hard time believing it, so I tried it with my own dog. I tried turning the lowest e-collar level game was able to perceive into a marker cue by charging it just like a charger clicker, classically paired it with food. And it actually worked. I taught my dog that the lowest level e-collar that she could feel meant the treat was coming. I created a classically conditioned association and turned the e-collar into a marker or secondary reinforcer like a click. Then I could use it in shaping. It was fascinating and not what I had expected to learn at all. I love being surprised on my learning journey. Curiosity and surprise is what makes us grow. Back to negative reinforcement. E-collars are commonly used as negative reinforcement tools by good trainers, and a trainer who knows what they're doing is likely to introduce the e-collar on a non-painful level, step-by-step, step, before using it in training, just like I train marker cues by themselves before using them in training. Once the dog is clear about the meaning of the e-collar as a negative reinforcement tool, it can then be turned up further. Now it is a punishing stimulus. Think of water flowing over your hand that isn't lukewarm or neutral anymore, but too hot or too cold to be comfortable. At this point, the dog already knows how to turn off the faucet, so they will turn it off because it's no longer comfortable. Is it painful? Not necessarily, because in most cases, there is no reason for it to be in a negative reinforcement context. You have trained with negative reinforcement, escape learning, and then, ideally, you'd never have to use that painful stimulus again. Avoidance learning maintains the behavior. The dog knows what to do to avoid the e-collar to even start up, and every time they do, the behavior gets stronger and more habitual. And that's even though you haven't used any electricity at all. My experience using the seatbelt will strengthen my habit of using seatbelts, even though there was no unpleasant stimulus because I was fast enough plugging in the seatbelt. And the dog's habit of, say, letting go of a bite suit or coming back on call will be strengthened in the same way. Even in the avoidance contingency, behaviors get stronger because the operant power of the learner to avoid is being confirmed every time. Of course, the e-collar can also be used as a positive punishment tool. Even so, trainers may teach punishment markers, just like they teach reinforcement markers, and create understanding of the e-collar away from the situation they will actually employ it in. This is to minimize the risk of fallout. So, I think that's it for today. When doing research for my book, I finally found a good negative reinforcement example from the dog training world, the e-collar. Negative reinforcement done well creates strong habits, and habits are incredibly hard to break and resistant to extinction. Once you've got that habit, you're going to be stuck with it, unless you consciously work against it. The same goes for any core belief we hold, by the way. These beliefs or behaviors are not just going away. They also don't create fear if the contingency is set up well. Most people are not afraid or uncomfortable getting into cars. That's because they believe in their own operant power of plugging in the seatbelt before the beeping starts. The same goes for our dogs. All right, happy training, everyone. Just one more side note, because I'm sure inquiring minds will want to know. No, I don't teach my human and canine clients with positive punishment or negative reinforcement. I also don't have a problem with any good trainer who uses these tools and techniques well. As I said, to me, what makes a good trainer is clarity, not quadrants. I myself have just learned a little bit about positive punishment and negative reinforcement in order to write a novel. That doesn't make me an expert in training that way. It would be irresponsible of me to now pretend I know how it all works. I know that my little bit of knowledge is just a drop in a giant ocean of knowledge that I am not familiar with. Plus, I really like my own niche, the way it is. However, if you wanted to learn to train that way, I would have referring you to the trainers mentioned in the show notes. They have done this for years or even decades, and they very much know what they're doing. I'm not your trainer if you want to learn to teach in the negative reinforcement or positive punishment quadrants, but there are others who you can learn from and who will make excellent teachers. They are the ones I would go to if I needed help in this realm with my own dogs. In fact, I just had a consult with Pat Stewart about the potential use of an e-collar in addressing intra-household aggression. That's a thing in my real life now. Two powerful dogs, I want to stay out of each other's way and coexist. Yes, positive reinforcement for good decisions, and lots of it. 
some control unleashed, network, tethers, muzzles. But if there is a bad decision and the safety or physical integrity of a companion animal is at stake, of course I'm willing to explore beyond my familiar quadrants. And in Pet Steward, I have found the right person to look over my shoulder as I'm doing so. They'll make sure I stay ethical, fair, effective and clear, keeping everyone safe and hopefully soon have a peaceful household. So don't be campy, people. Everyone you meet has something to teach you. Even if you don't know what it is yet, 